Right now, if you want to take your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We'll read verse 4 through 6. We're kind of uh, going to be concluding what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Of course, last week we had our Lord's Supper and we uh, focused on that last Sunday, but we're kind of back to where we were before now and probably be concluding kind of this. I guess if you want to call it a series, you can, but it was all kind of leading up to the message from two weeks ago and this one. And really important stuff here that we're going to be talking about tonight, something that's just, it's so true. Um, I'm only 32 years old, and I've seen a lot of this, and I'm sure uh, as time goes on, it's just going to seem more and more real, see more and more of this kind of thing. But in Exodus chapter 20, we'll read verse 4, it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my Commandments. Tonight we're going to talk about breaking the curse and claiming the blessings. Now many times when you talk about curses, uh, folks in the world, maybe lost lost people or uh, folks who just maybe don't know the Bible really well, when they hear you talk about things like this, they look at it as something really weird. Oh, you know, that church thinks you can get cursed. They believe in curses. And uh, But a lot of times when people think about curses, you know, they're, it's not... Something that some witch does on you, okay? It's not something that, there's not some sorcerer out there somewhere that's stirring this pot of all kinds of weird things and saying some incantation over it that's bringing about this curse. A curse is something that is completely real though. Uh, there's many ways you can curse somebody. One of the ways, you can curse your own children just by maybe uh, a father saying to their son, it's like you're, you know, you're a loser, you're a failure, you're never gonna amount to anything. There's been many people who have been cursed with those words. They're told that all their life and it seems like they feel like they can't overcome those things. They've had that, they've been cursed with that. Maybe they've had several people kind of, uh, pronounce that same curse on them. It doesn't have, you know, you don't have to be a witch or a sorcerer or something like that to do that. A curse is something that really any of us can do to anybody if we're not careful. And I'm not saying that these curses are all powerful, and if you just go say to somebody, "Hey, you know, you're gonna choke to death tonight," it's gonna happen. I'm not talking about that, but I think by the end of this message, hopefully, you'll understand exactly what it is and uh, what it means uh, to, you know, or how uh, what a biblical curse is, but also how we can break those curses because that's the most important thing. But this passage that we read, it's a verse that, on one hand, is really scary. The iniquities of the fathers being visited upon the children under the third and fourth generation, that should be scary for anybody who is a father, thinking that my sins may affect the next, or my sins will affect the next three or four generations. That's a scary thought. But that same passage in verse 6, it says, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. We can take this curse. And really, any curse that you see in the Bible, there's many times, there's many things that God said, hey, you're, you're cursed if you do these things. Many times the term that's used is woe. 
Anytime you know, woe unto them. That's a curse. And anytime you see a curse, if you take it and you do the opposite, it's a blessing. And anytime you see a blessing in the Bible, hey, blessed are they that do this. You can kind of reverse that and you know, cursed or woe unto them that do the opposite. So this is something that this is really a, it's a power that we can take and use it in a good way for our children and for our grandchildren, our great grandchildren. As a church, we can take these things and we can use them so God will bless our church. And we want so we want to do these things on purpose. But a couple examples of blessed generations. Uh, go to Genesis chapter twenty six. Genesis chapter twenty six. Verse one says, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. God's just told Isaac some good news here. This is pretty exciting. A lot of good things are about to happen to Isaac and to his seed. And then it says in verse 4, "...and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." More good news. Then verse 5, why is all you know Isaac probably wondering, you know, why are all these good things about to happen to me? Why am I getting all of these blessings? And then God says, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because of Abraham, Abraham was a man who passed on blessings down through several generations. Isaac made some mistakes. Jacob made some mistakes. Jacob's boys definitely made some mistakes. But one thing that we see throughout the generations is God always stayed true to that covenant that He made with Abraham and His seed. God loved Israel. God never utterly destroyed Israel even though they deserved it many times. There was many times where God wanted to destroy Israel. When they God delivered them out of Egypt, they were constantly complaining and they're murmuring. And many times God wanted to destroy them. And God wanted to start over with Moses. But then Moses would remind God of what He had promised to Abraham. And then God would remember what He had told Abraham. And who knows what would have happened to Israel had it not been for Abraham. He passed blessings down. I don't know about you, I'd like to do that same thing. Also, David is another great example of that. In 2 Chronicles chapter 21, 2 Chronicles chapter 21, I want to read this to you, verse 4 through 7. And there's many examples we could look at of David where his generations after him did some bad things, but God spared them because of David and what David had done. But one example I want to show you in 2 Chronicles 21, in verse 4, Now when Jehoram was risen up to the kingdom of his father, he strengthened himself and slew all his brethren with the sword and divers also of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was thirty and two years old when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, 
For he had the daughter of Ahab, the wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Jehoram was a wicked, wicked king. He was evil. When kings, at this point, the kingdoms are split. You've got Judah, which was the line of David. That was the godly one. And then you had Israel. Whenever the kings of Israel did things like this, God would usually cut them off. God would usually have them destroyed and He would set somebody else up as king. But with Jehoram, He didn't do that. And it says in verse 7, "...Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that He had made with David, and as He promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever." The only thing that spared the house of Jehoram was God's promise to David. The blessings of David being passed down. And I don't know about you, but sometimes... That kind of scares me a little bit because in a way, you know, I thank God I've got a goodly heritage, a godly heritage. And sometimes I wonder, man, you know, I wonder how many of my blessings are because of my forefathers. And not necessarily because of me. And I and I don't want to be the one that kind of uses up the blessings and doesn't pass anything else down to the next generation. I would like to add to that a little bit. I'm thankful for the heritage that I have. I would like to pass on an even better one to my children. And hopefully I can teach them to not just use up all the blessings and live off the blessings of their father and of their grandfather, but they will do some things for God too so they can so it can keep going. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want it to end. I don't want it to stop right here. I want it to continue on. But at the same so here we see a couple examples of blessed generations, but yet Cursed generations, you really can't track them throughout the Bible. You know why? Because they usually didn't last very long. When these guys would get in trouble, when they would go against God, when they would disobey His commandments, their families would usually end up dying off. Or they would be forgotten. So we don't really have examples like that in the Bible. But at the same time, what I want to talk to you mainly about tonight is how to break that curse. Because I'm sure that everybody in here said, and I know this might sound creepy and don't take it wrong, but I imagine everybody in here, you've probably got some curses on you right now in your life and in your family. Say, well, you're saying I'm cursed. I'm a Christian. No curse can have hold on me. Listen, you can still have some curses in your life. There are some things that we pass down through the generations. Some good things. Maybe some bad things. Some of the bad things I see my kids do sometimes that I never taught them to do that, but it's the exact same thing I did when I was a kid. I kind of, kind of pass it on. Oh, well, that's not a curse. That's just genetics. That's it. No, it's, it's a curse. I mean, alright, if you want to argue about terminology, you know, that's fine. But how do we break some of these curses? Because there's, because here's, here's the truth. Just because you might have some of these things in your past, you might have some pretty strong curses on your life. They don't have to control you. They don't have to defeat you. There are many, many people who have done some great things for God and have started some very godly generations that they themselves started by themselves before them. It was nothing but wickedness. And so, how do we break that curse? Well, the first one I think is pretty simple. I think if I asked you to name the first point, you probably could if you want to break a curse, if you want to get something started right. First thing you need to do is get saved. 
Get saved. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Hopefully this will kind of help you understand how curses work a little bit. But it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of, of the Spirit through faith. Notice how it says the blessing of Abraham. I remember when I was I remember when I was a kid, we were sitting there one night doing devotions, and Dad was talking about Abraham and how all his generations would be blessed. And I remember sitting there and thinking, you know, I wonder if you know I I looked at our family, I felt like we were very blessed. And I wondered if Abraham was our great great great, you know, grandfather, if you go back to him. Chances are, later I realized, you know, I found out he probably isn't. Because uh, as far as I know, we don't have, I don't have any Jewish heritage that I know of. It's possible, but I don't really know. And even if I could trace it all the way back, and I found out that yeah, I'm not I'm not related to Abraham. I came from Japheth somewhere, and not not, not related to him that way. The truth is, when we get saved, we become we get that blessing of Abraham. So really, I guess what the Bible is trying to show us here, all of us, one thing that we all could trace back from, you know, we've got, you know, Tommy in here is one of the problems that he has. He's got a sin problem. We all have. You know where he got that from? He got it from me. You know where I got it from? I got it from my dad, Tom McMurtry the first. He got it from Lehman McMurtry. Who got it from George McMurtry? Who got it from George McMurtry the first? Who got it from James McMurtry? That's as far back as I can go. <laughs> but it goes all the way back, ultimately, to Adam. It got passed down from generation to generation. A curse. A curse. It came down on all of us. It's gone and it's came all the way to us today. But when we get saved, when we become a child of God, we receive the blessing of Abraham. It's like we become a part of a new family. And it's like now, spiritually, we are in that, it's like we're in that line of Abraham. And God blesses us. And many, there are many curses that go away simply just with salvation. For example, we don't have to pay, have the curse of spending eternity in hell. We don't have to have that anymore. Jesus Christ became that curse for us. And salvation is the biggest and the best thing that you could do to start a brand new generation, a godly generation, a blessed generation. Salvation is is the best and it is the most important thing that you can do. I believe, listen, you, the mom and dad can be saved and the kids could all grow up never receiving Christ as their Savior. That's very possible. Just because the parents are saved does not mean all the kids are going to get saved. However, I believe they're more likely. Just like two lost parents, their children could get saved. However, it's a little less likely. They have, they're going to pass that curse on down. But salvation is the best thing you can do to start all over. That sin problem, it goes all the it says you can trace it all the way back to Adam. Romans chapter 5. Verse 12, you don't have to turn there. I want to read this verse to you. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, 
For all have sinned. It's just it's been passed down through the generations. I guarantee if we if we had everybody say, hey, you know what's what's something in your family? There's probably something that you could just trace back. Something you've always struggled with that your father had the same problem with, and you just I I could give a lot of examples. I don't I don't want to get really give personal examples of people that I know because the truth is. You know, we don't always know why people do the things that they do, and I don't want to risk, you know, being judged too much, but it is amazing how many times I've seen people do really stupid things and really evil things that just didn't make a lot of sense, and then you see the kids later do the exact same thing. It'll blow your mind. And the older you get, the more you see these things. So the first thing to break a curse is get saved. Second thing you need to do is recognize and confess the sins of your fathers. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 15. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 15. It says, And now, O Lord our God, Thou hast brought Thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten Thee uh, renown as at this day. We have sinned we have done wickedly. Notice this is Daniel talking here. Daniel was a really good guy. You don't, I don't think there's one negative thing you can find in the Bible about Daniel. But listen to how Daniel's talking here. He's saying, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. Verse 16, O Lord, according to all Thy righteousness, I beseech Thee, let Thine anger and Thy fury be turned away from Thy city Jerusalem, Thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Daniel, he looked at the situation there. And they were in captivity at this time. Jerusalem was a mess. They were in trouble. And Daniel, he wasn't looking at God and saying, Lord, what are You doing to us? Lord, why are we going through all these horrible things right now? Daniel said, Lord, I know why you're doing this. This is because of us. This is because of the iniquities of our fathers. We've been asking for this for a very long time, Lord. And I'm asking you, Lord, to turn your sin away. And one of the things that if we're going to conquer some of these sins that get passed down, we've got to recognize them and we've got to confess them. We need to admit, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go, you know, bashing your fathers and hating your parents and saying you don't want to have anything to do with them anymore because they had this sin problem. I'm saying between you and God and to the next and to your next generation, you may need to say, listen, our family's got a history of maybe it's drunkenness. So we've got a, we got a history of drunkenness in our family. You, you would think somebody who grew up in the house of an alcoholic would never want to touch alcohol. But yet many times, kids who grow up watching their parents or their dad you know, beat their mom while under the influence of alcohol grow up and do the exact same thing. You would think they would be the last ones in the world. But that's exactly what they do. And what needs to be done is that next generation has got to say, hey, we have a problem in our family. We, our fathers did this. My father did this. In this house, it's not going to happen. My dad grew up in a family where there was quite a bit of alcohol in that family. My dad, he tells some stories about some of the things that he saw, not so much with his parents as much as with his brothers and sisters. And he saw, he had seven older brothers and sisters, or six older brothers and sisters. 
And he saw a lot of that stuff. And he, he did. He decided that he didn't want to have any part of it. My dad, I can tell you right now, my dad loves his family. My dad loves his parents. I've never, ever one time in my life heard my dad dishonor his mom and dad, dishonor his brothers and sisters in any way. But one thing my dad never did one time growing up, he never made excuses for anything that they did that was wrong. My my grandpa, I remember as a little kid, we'd go over there and he, he was a smoker. He smoked all the time. It ended up it ended up killing him. It took his life uh, way younger than he should have. But my dad always taught us smoking's bad. He didn't tell us you need to hate your grandpa. We love I love my grandpa. We'd go over there, visit him, you know, we'd give him a hug. We thought he was great. Well, but we knew he smoked and my, my dad said, Hey, that's wrong. You know, you shouldn't do that. And we ought to pray for him. You know, pray that you know God will help him quit. Never dishonor them. But my dad said that this is something that's wrong. It's something that's been going on in my family. We saw what it did to my grandpa. We saw what it did to uh, some of his children and some of the grandchildren. I mean, you go to a family reunion with the McMurtrys, uh, you're gonna be smelling some serious smoke. I mean, it's just it's the way it is. And uh, we saw that, but it was something that we rec- he, he recognized and said. We're not having none of it. When I and one, I never one time saw my dad smoke a cigarette. Not one. It was something we he kept us away from it. He didn't want us anywhere near it. And so far, in this next generation, there hasn't been a problem with anybody in our family when it comes to that. He he broke that curse when it comes to our family. But you've you've got to point it out. Too many people they're afraid to. Now, I'm not telling you to go picking on your families and telling, you know, talking to your kids about how horrible they are and stuff. You can do it in a right way. You can do it in a loving way. But you've got to point out those things and you've got to, you've got to confess them to God and then you have to make sure that they are not a part of your life at all. Don't be two-faced about it. Don't be... You know, don't be saying, you know, man, my, my parents, they did this and this and this growing up. And then you go do the same thing. I mean, you're cursing them by doing that. And they're more likely to do that same thing. But recognize it. Call it out. There's been things I've seen in churches where a church has gotten in trouble in a certain area, maybe with the pastor. And nobody, nobody ever wants to talk about it. Nobody ever wants to bring it up. Nobody ever wants to, you know, they try to sweep things under the rug. Very dangerous thing to do. Very wicked thing to do. Problem is when because when they do that, it later ends up the same thing happens again just with somebody else. The same type of sin keeps happening, and you see that, and it's like they need to come clean. They need to confess what's been done. They need to stop the cover-ups. If they keep covering these things up, it's just going to keep resurfacing. It's going to keep happening, but with new people, you've got to recognize and confess the sins of your fathers. It's so important, and you can do it. Without dishonoring him, you can you can do it without being judgmental. Don't do that. And then the third thing that you can do is pioneer a new path for your family. Pioneer a new path for your family. You know, it's right now in our country we've got it pretty easy in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to traveling. Okay, if we if we wanted to travel to California, pretty much the only thing stopping you is maybe gas money. Is the only thing stopping you. It's the gas money, time. You can do it real easy. We've got highways, we've got interstates, we've got these nice paved roads. But you know what? Thank God, years ago there were some pioneers that first traveled those roads that nobody else had traveled before. 
that maybe they had to fight their way through woods and brush and climb over mountains and things. And then later on, you know, they started making the dirt paths. And then later they got some stone roads in there. And it's to where it is today. Some of the mountains people used to have to climb. We got tunnels that go right through them now. It's so easy now to do those things because of people who, some pioneers who went and they blazed a new trail that took us to great places. And in your family, you might not have that good history. This might be brand new. It might be starting with you. But you can still do it. You know, those pioneers, they could have just stayed where they were at. They could have stayed in the towns that they lived in and just built a name for themselves there. They could have did like the people of the Tower of Babel wanted to do, just stay in one place and make a name for themselves. But they didn't do that. They went out and they blazed new trails. And we have places like America. Thankfully, we had people that came over to this country on the Mayflower in some pretty horrible conditions. But they did that. And you and I, Hey, we were born here. Thank God for thank God for that. What a blessing that is. And you can start something. And these people, they had the mindset, I want better for my children. I want it to be easier for my children. We're probably the first generation in a long time that has not had that attitude in our country. That's why we spend like we do in our government and don't seem to care. It's our it's our kids and grandkids that are gonna have to pay for it. Hey, as long as I don't have to pay for it. What a horrible attitude. What an un-American attitude that it is. But that is the attitude today. But as a Christian, you need to determine, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blaze new trails. I might be the first person in my family that has ever gone to a Baptist church. I might be the first person in my family that's ever taken this stand or done that. But hey, I'm not, but determine, I might be the first, but I'm not gonna be the last. I'm going to teach this to the next generation. And it's going to go on. And uh, So you do that. And then what you're going to have to do during that time. Well, let's go to first. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. Hebrews 11. I, just, I don't like giving points without giving some Scripture to kind of back it up. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 through 13 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called of God, are called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whether he went. Can you imagine God just telling you to go somewhere? I'll tell you where you, I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. Just go. Start walking. That'd be kind of scary. Verse nine. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise and in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He wanted something that, even though his situation wasn't real stable, even though it was scary, there was a lot of unknown, he wanted something that was of God. Now I'm not, I wouldn't dare try even comparing what I've, anything I've done to Abraham, but even just for us when God called us to come here to Rock Falls. I mean, I lived in LaSalle all my life. That was all I knew. Everybody I knew was out there when he called us to come to a town where we really didn't know anybody. And to start a church, it was a little bit scary. It was a little scary, but I was willing, I was willing to do it because I really believed and felt that it was of God. I didn't know how it was all going to work out. I, like I said, uh, up until a year and a half ago, I didn't know any of you. I mean, not one person that was sitting in here this morning that I know a year and a half ago. And, but the Lord, 
hey, you know, I've got to see a lot of things, and you know what? There's still a few things I'm still waiting for God to reveal and show how these how some things are going to work out. And He's got a plan. He's got a plan. He'll show me when He's ready. But in the meantime, I'm I'm going to have to keep waiting. But then in verse 11, for uh, through faith uh, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, uh, sprang there even of one and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky and multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore, innumerable. I mean, look at all that God did. Look how God expanded Abraham. Look at all that was done. Verse 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know, it is very possible. I'm not trying to discourage anybody in here. But it is very possible that if you live a life according to the Word of God, that especially if you're the first one, in your genealogy, you might not really see any of the big blessings here on this earth. It may be a struggle and it may be a fight for you your entire life. And you say, well, I want to see something now. You can't have that attitude. Abraham them, they understood that, we were, that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That needs to be your mindset. I might not receive any of the blessings of this. They might not happen in my lifetime, but oh well, I'm only here temporarily. I'm looking forward to heaven. That's ultimately where I want to go. I want to make sure when I get to heaven, I can tell God, Lord, I did what You wanted me to do while I was on Your earth. And if you'll do that, I believe just like God did Abraham, He'll bless your next generations. And so where it might be a struggle for you, I believe it will be easier for your children. And if they go on and do the same thing, it will be even easier for the grandchildren. And it just... It keeps it keeps getting better. It keeps getting greater. But you've got to have that attitude that hey, this is not about me. This is about the next generations. Who knows? There may there may come a day when you know this. I'm, when I was growing up in my dad's church, he started the church from nothing. Just him and a couple other families. And you know, when I was growing up, we didn't. You know, we met in a really crummy building. It smelled bad. It was ugly. Used to be a bar. I've told you all about it before, but you know there wasn't a whole lot going on there when I was a kid. There wasn't a whole lot of kids. We didn't have a whole lot of programs. I I never had a full time youth director or anything like that. There was there was a lot of things I didn't have. But one thing that we saw during those years that I was growing up, saw the Lord, it was growing. We were doing great things, and I was actually the first full time youth director at that church, and I loved. All the things while I was there that I got that our teenagers got to do that I never did get to do growing up. I loved it. I didn't. I didn't look at it and think, wow, oh, they don't need to do this stuff. I never got to do it. No, I loved it that things were better for them than it was for me. During that time, the church had built the gymnasium, and they, you know, had, I mean, had able to have a lot of fun there. Had the basketball team and volleyball teams, and got to do a lot of fun things and go to tournaments and go to other churches and play other basketball teams and get to know a lot of other people. And it was a lot of fun. I didn't get to do that. And I was okay with that. But I, would be, I, was, but I was glad that I got to help somebody else have that. And that that kind of thing is still going on there. And it's my desire that the same thing happens here. And I believe it will. Where right now, a lot of, people, you know, a lot of times people, they, 
You know, it's like, well, what does the church have to offer me? You know, what is, you know, what kind of programs? That's the first. You know, people don't ask that much about doctrine anymore. So I was, you know, what kind of programs do you have? What this, what that, and hey, I want them all. To tell you the truth, <laughs> but hey, those things take time. And thank God, you know, we have some pioneers here in this church that are willing to work towards those things, and I believe it's going to keep getting better. And but we're going to have to blaze some new trails. And that's okay. And God's, we might not get to see the big things. You know, the great, I believe that the greatest days that Liberty Baptist Church will ever see may not be seen by us. But thank God, Moses, when he found out he wasn't going to get to go into the promised land, didn't say, forget it, I'm done. You know, Lord, go ahead and kill all of them. He didn't do that. He went and was content to just get to look and see. His job was done, and he moved on. But pioneer that new path. And while you're on that path, one thing that you need to do is beg God for blessings. Beg God for blessings. In Genesis chapter 32, one thing that we see back, especially in Genesis, I mean, these men, they craved those blessings. They wanted them bad. They understood how important they were. And you know the story about Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. He was supposed to get the blessing. But Jacob tricked his father. And he stole the blessing from his brother. Brother, we're not going to take time to read through that whole story. But Esau, when he found out that his brother had stolen his blessing, I mean, he wept. It upset him. It tore him up because he wanted that blessing. And he told his father, "Is there? Give me some kind of blessing. I want something. I want something." He wanted something, and his father gave him what he could. And as parents, we ought to want to pass some blessings on to our kids. As children, we ought to want some of those blessings and something that something else that we can pass on that good heritage. But also another thing we need to do is remove the accursed things from your life. We talked about accursed things two weeks ago with Achan and his family. Achan, he took of the accursed thing and it ultimately led to the destruction of him and his entire family. There are many people that are going after things and bringing things into their home that are destroying their families. Some of the junk that comes across the television screens that just pollute the minds of their children. You know, maybe as an maybe as an adult there are some things that you can handle, but the kids they're not going to be able to. You sure you want to bring that accursed thing into your home? Are you are you wanting things to be better for them? Are you you know, oh this we did all this when I was growing up. Are you wanting the exact same or you want something better? We're trying to blaze new trails here. Here, remove the accursed things from your life. Also, add things to your life that you know will bring blessings. A while back, I don't remember if it was discipleship or one of the messages we preached, we talked about Obed-Edom, the man that held on to the Ark of the Covenant for a while after God had killed Uzzah for touching it. And while the Ark of the Covenant was in his house, God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. But if you study Obed-Edom, you look at all the times he's mentioned after that, after they took that Ark of the Covenant out of his house, you know what we find? Where we find him every time you see his name mentioned is very close to the ark of God, working in the house of God. He figured out that hey, there's blessings, and every time you see reference to Obed-Edom, it talks about how he was blessed. He had several sons that were blessed. We see one of his grandsons was named after him, named Obed, which means servant. I mean, he passed some. He figured out 
that there is blessings in the presence of God and in the service of God. And he passed that on to his children and his children's children. His generation was very blessed. It's so interesting when you read about that. He, and that's we you add things to your life that you know is going to bring blessing. I mean, teaching your children the Word of God. I can promise you, that's not going to hurt them. It's only going to help them. It's only going to help bring blessings, not just teaching them, but practicing those things. Doing those things. God blesses the work of the Lord. God blesses the keeping of His commandments. And since we know that, and since we are trying to get the blessings of God, we've got to find out what these things are and on purpose say this is a part of what is done in the McMurtry household. This is what we do. This is where we stand because we want God's blessing on our life. You know, there's not, I heard preachers say it like this one time, and it's true. There's absolutely nothing that you can do to make God love you more or to make Him love you less. God loves everybody, God is love. But there are things you can do to get God's blessing on your life. And keeping the commandments is one of those things. Then also, do right even when you don't feel like it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. You're going to have to in season, out of season. Sometimes it's going to be easy to serve the Lord. Other times, it's going to be difficult. Sometimes it's going to feel like everybody's doing right. Sometimes it's going to feel like nobody's and you're the only one. You've got to be faithful all the time. Don't be wishy-washy. It will just destroy your family. It will get them in so much trouble. Don't do that. But passing these blessings on, it's something that it is for real. I want to to read an example to you. I had heard this a long time ago. Somebody talked about it, and I looked this up. It was very interesting. But about an example of a godly legacy and an ungodly legacy. Because, you know, the truth is, it it is really hard to track family trees, and especially going back. It's hard to do that, but it can be done. And I heard one person say it's not always wise to shake a family tree because. You never know what kind of nuts are going to fall out of it. <laughs> and I know that's probably the case in some of my family tree. But uh, one great example is Jonathan Edwards. He was a Puritan preacher from the 1700s. And Jonathan and his wife Sarah left a great godly legacy for their 11 children. Jonathan Edwards, he's known for preaching the message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that kind of kicked off the Great Awakening. And around the turn of the 20th century, American educator and pastor A.E. Winship decided to trace out the descendants of Jonathan Edwards almost 150 years after his death. His findings are astounding, especially when compared to a man known as Max Jukes. Jukes' legacy came to the forefront when the family tree of 42 different men in the New York prison system were traced back to him. But here's Jonathan Edwards' godly legacy. It, it, there was He had one vice president in it, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, and 100 missionaries. Max Jukes' descendants include seven murderers, 60 thieves, 50 women of debauchery, 130 other convicts, 310 paupers with over 2,300 years lived in poorhouses, 
400 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living. And it was estimated that Max Juke's descendants cost the state more than $1,250,000, which back then was a lot of money. And the truth is, Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes, none of them guys got to live to see that. None of, none of them did. But at the same time, I guarantee you, both of those guys, I know Jonathan Edwards, he did, it would have just excited him. I wonder if Max Jukes would have maybe changed some things in his life. It was said that he was, that he was an atheist. He had nothing to do. With God, I knew one person in particular. These kids, they used to come on our bus route. Just sweet kids, had a really rough life, a really rough home situation. Their dad was in jail quite a bit, and I mean, these three kids—they so they came when they were real little. Just they were as rotten as all get out. They were as cute as all get out too, and just weren't trained at all. But we we loved these kids, and they they ended up getting older, and they ended up moving to another town. And they quit coming on our bus route. But they were real close in age. Not many years later, I remember all three of, or I had, we had that detention home ministry we did. And his kids were all in jail at the same time. All three of them. And one boy and two girls. I thought, man, I can't imagine having one of my children in jail. I really can't imagine having one of my daughters being in jail. At 13, 14 years old, as a father, that would just it would devastate me. I don't know what I would do. But imagine all three of them at the same time, they're all in jail. And I was talking to the boy and I asked him, has your dad been by here? He hadn't visited him. Simply because he didn't feel very safe around the courthouse, around the jailhouse, because he spends too much time there and may have been wanted for something at the time. Who knows? And here I'm thinking, I can't even imagine that. And yet, this father's he's not even here, hasn't even visited him one time. And it blew my mind because you know, those kids, while they were coming on the bus, you know, we, we did everything we could for them. We loved them to death, but we were scared about what would end up happening in their life because of the horrible situation that they were in. And there's been many children like that on our bus route that I've known. At Lighthouse, they had a bus, they've had a bus route over there for the 25 years they've been in existence. We've got some kids that come over there that their parents used to ride the bus. And you just see that exact same situation and it just, it tears your heart out when you see that. But one, and while we can't do a whole lot about what other people do, we can do something about what we do. We can do something about our life. We, we can start something. I believe here at Liberty Baptist Church, we're starting some good things. We're, we've started sowing some seeds. It's gonna, it's gonna take a while to produce some of the fruit, but the Bible says, be not deceived. We usually use this verse as a warning. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's pretty scary. It says, He that soweth through the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. What are we sowing in our lives? What are you sowing in your life? What are you sowing in your family? I recommend start sowing good things and God will show some great things in your life and you can start a godly legacy that can maybe go on for until Christ returns. So with that, let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.